Thank you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. Thank you for tuning in to Divine Nobody's Podcast. How you doing, Jen, the, the queen of the Maine Coons? <laughs> I'm doing well. Yeah. The reason why I called Jen the, the queen of the Maine Coons is because she just recently had a litter of Maine Coon kittens. What was it? Seven? Seven. Seven. That yeah. is a lot of a lot of fucking cats, Jen. Dude, it's a lot of and we had nine cats total with the parents. It was too many cats. Yeah, and she sent me over a video of uh what was the name of the cat? Which one? That was in labor. Oh, Stevie. Stevie, yeah, she was in labor. I saw a cat in labor. She was just making all these crazy sounds. But it was really, really beautiful to see all the, the, the kittens just being brought into the world. And Jen was gracious enough to gift me one of her Maine Coon kittens. I did. I did. Well, he chose you. So, you know, he, what are you going to do? He chose me, and I gave him a, a, a very majestic, beautiful name. His name is Goji Bear. Aww. It's actually, Goji is short for Gojira, which <laughs> if you can figure that one out, it means Godzilla. <laughs> Yeah, but it's a goji bear for sure. Because he he's already, he's only like three or four months, and he's huge already, Jen. I know they get they get so big. Um, we ended up with keeping two of the kittens, not by choice. We didn't want to keep any, um, but we couldn't find homes for them. And really? these two are a bonded pair. They're like yin oh, and yang, yeah. and they look identical too. So it's really hard to tell them apart. I had to put different color collars on them so I could you know kind of tell the difference. But yeah, so yeah. we ended up, now we have four cats, which is also too many cats. Oh my gosh, you're like the crazy cat woman. I'm crazy cat lady. And like the palms. When you go outside of your door, there's like that person across the street. It's like, oh, look at, look at that girl. She's that crazy cat woman, has all those cats in her house. Oh my God, it's, it's fucking nuts, man. I wonder what she's doing over there. So if anybody's in, in, curious about what a Maine Coon cat is, I mean, most people have just regular tabby cats. I mean, there are other cats that are out there, but Maine Coon cats are known to kind of resemble the face of, uh, I guess there's a famous actor named Ron Perlman. Have you seen Ron Perlman's face? <laughs> no. You've what? never seen Ron Perlman? No, I have no you, idea who that is. Yeah. So when you, if you go online right now and you look up your Google, look up Ron Perlman and tell me that the Maine Coon face does not look like that guy. Oh my gosh. Anyways, okay. a lot of people in that community reference him when it comes to like fully grown Maine Coon cats. Okay. And while you're doing is, that, so I wanted to just Where go would over. I know him? He's from a movie. He's, he's been in like several movies throughout, I don't know, the last maybe 10 or 15 years. So, Oh, oh my gosh. He does not look like a Maine Coon cat. He looks Who like a Maine that? Coon cat, Jen. He does. <laughs> he looks like those like super villain types. Anyways, if you guys oh are God. listening, look it up and then look up Maine Coon. They're pay, pretty much the same face. So anyways, the Maine Coon is one of the largest domesticated cats, has a distinctive appearance and valuable hunting skills. And I wanted to talk about just the origin really quick. They're apparently from Maine. Of course, that's where they get their name, Maine Coon, but- it is said that they're descended from Norwegian forest cats or Siberian forest cats, which have may have been That's brought right. to New England by settlers, right? And if you see them, they look like little snow leopards, you know? Yeah, they're beautiful cats. The reason why I brought it up at the beginning of this podcast, Jen, is because this little thing has me run laps around my house. It's really, really intelligent. I've been able to teach it how to fetch. Place, it's place fetch, and they're known to have sort of like dog type of personalities. You know, they're very friendly. They're known as the sort of friendly, gentle giants is what they call him online. But he's really smart, plays fetch with me. 
but he gets in everything and he has this habit. And I think I sent you over some, some uh, videos, Jen, of just knocking things off of counters. Like he'll just straight up look me in the eye and he'll just push my sparkling water off the table right in front of my face. They love that. And they love getting in plants too. Has oh, he gotten yeah. your plants yet? He has. Yeah. I had to actually had to move some of my plants a little above mm-hmm. his sort of level so he doesn't get into them. Yeah. I came home and uh, one of the kittens, um, uh, Tuna, he was sitting on top of my plant and all of the leaves were broken and he was sitting inside of it, just taking a nap. He's like, like, what do you think of that? man. Yeah. Conquered the plants. Yeah. Yeah. And then they like to get in there. (laughs) A lot of my plants are like (laughs) prized possessions. So I have to like just find a different location for them, but it's been a learning opportunity. Still great. Really, really grateful to have him. He's a really, really friendly cat. They're super cool. They're so chill. Um, They're, they're just really, like you said, they're just like dogs. But yeah. I actually put rocks in the bottom of my plants, like in the dirt. So, um, cause they love to get in the dirt and dig it out and put it all on the floor. It's like a game for them. I don't know. So I put rocks in all of my plants and that seems to have taken care of that problem. Okay. Well, I have to yeah. try that. It's definitely a learning, learning opportunity, but check this out, Jen. <laughs> the sure. other weekend I went to the broad in Los Angeles. Have you ever been there? The broad. There's no, some I actually of- haven't. And I lived in California for 11 years and I'd never been there. Yeah, I I I, cons- I I don't understand why people don't call it the broad, but apparently it's the broad. Anyways, it's, it's the, the place where they have like yeah, the broad. I thought it was the broad. I thought it was the broad too. It's spelled like the broad, right? Yeah, whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. Maybe people don't want to be offensive. I don't know what the deal is with that. Anyways, we went to a, <laughs> a, an art gallery because that's where they have art galleries, and we went to go see this Takashi Murakami exhibit in Los Angeles. And uh, he's a Japanese artist. He's basically like the An- Andy Warhol of the sort of Japanese art world in the sense that he sort of combines elements of pop culture, modern art, and actually like Japanese art all together. So that was like really, really cool to see that art sort of mixed together. But the one really amazing thing about this trip to this place is they have another art installation that you can see by this artist named Yayoi Kusama. And she has this thing called the Infinity Room. Have you heard about this Infinity Room? I have seen photos of it online and it looks amazing. Yeah. Did you get a if picture of yourself? Yeah, if you're from LA and you got an Instagram or any type of social media, that's what yeah. people go there for. They go there for the gram. For and that's gram. cool. Mm-hmm. It's definitely worth it. But, you know, we, you wait in line and I didn't really know this until I got there. And I, you could only go into this infinity room for one minute at a time. So you're like waiting in this line and they, they put you in like individually or for you with a couple and they only give you one minute to experience this sort of infinity room. When you walk into the infinity room, it's basically like this whole hall of mirrors, right? Mm -hmm. And they're situated in such a way that if you look through the mirrors, it literally looks like you're staring off into infinity. It's like a really cool trip. But one minute is not enough time to experience infinity, Jen. Agreed. You know, like what if someone asked you if you wanted to experience infinity and then they said, but you only get one minute to experience infinity. I'd do it. You know, I mean, I did it, but you only have really enough time to take a photo. Yeah. And not really experience the, the complexity of the infinity room. I was like, you know what? At this point, you might as well just take psychedelics. And you don't have to worry about only being able to observe infinity for one minute. You can observe mm-hmm. infinity for like seven hours if you want to. Yeah. Yeah, sure can. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you know what that's for. I was actually at um, the pool this afternoon and um, I have a friend in town from uh, from London and I haven't seen her in three years because of COVID, right? So um, this is our first opportunity to hang out together. So she wanted to go to a Las Vegas pool and, you know, check it out. So we're there and these two girls were literally having a full-on photo shoot with each other, 
really? all for the gram, you know? Um, and it, it's those people that they are the reason why you can only be in the infinity room for one minute because <laughs> they were, <laughs> just like, they were literally the, taking pictures for 45 minutes. For I mean, like it was every insane. single angle. Oh, every, every angle. angle and then stop and look yeah. at it and then put some filters on it and then do some more. I was like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And imagine how much life you miss out on it's, by looking at so it through intense. your phone, yeah. looking at it through your camera. And this is reminiscent of what we're going to be talking about today because we're going to be talking about the art of listening, right? And if like you can't it. really be listening, Jen, if you're just spending 45 minutes to an hour, maybe even four hours taking photos for the gram, you know? And really at that point, it's for yourself. You know, how many people are really studying your picture and just waiting patiently for you to post another photo? Like no one, you know? Oh, it's like, I can't wait till, I, I can't wait till Jen posts another photo of her food that she had for lunch today. Right? Mm. Oh my gosh. Mm, mm. I know you wanted to see my breakfast burrito. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. You went traveling recently, right? Where did you go? I did. I went to New Orleans for our oh, conference. Wait, 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 Jen. You went to Nolens. Nolens. I was in Nolens for a week. Oh, and yeah. It's one of my favorite cities. Have you ever been? I've never been in New Orleans, but I've been a fan. It's on my bucket list because I'm a huge oh fan gosh. of Anne Rice, or at least I was when I was younger. Oh, I didn't know that. It's it's incredible. I mean, it's such an amazing city. And actually, post-COVID, um, it is not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. So um, it's actually a little bit cleaner. Really wonderful. Like the best food I've ever had is in New Orleans. And I love the culture of New Orleans. I love like the voodoo type culture, you know, yeah. and the jazz music and the street performers. And um, that's the still Creole, like- The Creole accents. The Creole accents. Yeah. That, that French English <laughs> yeah. kind of mix. It's really cool. Yeah. It's a great place. And so much history. Like it's such a historic city. And yeah. Um, yeah, just walking around and looking at all the old buildings, um, everything there is protected. So uh, from the outside, it's like, it's kind of like going to Cuba, like being in a time warp. I've always been a huge fan of, of New Orleans because like I said, I was really into Anne Rice novels. And the one beautiful thing about New Orleans is that she integrates, you know, actual places in New Orleans into the book. So if you read the Vampire Chronicles of like mm-hmm. Interview with the Vampire, the Vampire yeah. Armand, Vampire Lestat, she talks about like, the Lafayette Cemetery and different places yeah. that actually exist in New Orleans. And if you go yeah. into New Orleans, you can actually find uh, Anne Rice's, I don't know if she lives there anymore, but her house is there. Then they also have just something really, really interesting about, because obviously you go there and you can feel, you can feel like the culture of yeah. New Orleans and how old it really is. I mean, you have like above ground cemeteries and you're just like, wow. wow. If you've gone to one of those, it's like going into a time warp. Like you're transported back to like the Victorian times, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah. There's, and the art and culture there is so rich. I mean, people are literally on the side of the street singing, playing spoons and singing jazz music, playing instruments, painting. It's kind of like, um, like being in France where people, you know, are painting like on the sidewalk and that sort of thing that goes down in New Orleans too. It's really cool. I wonder if one of those guys playing the spoons is playing Spoon Man by Soundgarden. Oh yeah. And in the washboard with the spoons and the washboard. Yeah. Great. I know you like Chris, Chris Cornell, Jen. Oh, I love Chris Cornell. You yeah. had a you had a Soundgarden a poster in your house for a long time. Oh Come gosh, together with your hand, save, save me. Oh man. Yeah. R.I.P. Chris Cornell. Yeah. Yeah. So that sounds okay. like a really cool experience. But while amazing. we're yeah, so we're going to be talking about oh my god, so much so much fun happening. Let's get to ground ourselves a little bit. We're going to be talking about the art of listening. The art of listening. And this is one of the things I wanted to focus on because, uh, you know, this is a spiritual podcast, venturing into the spiritual realm. Listening is like such an imperative part of this whole thing. 
And I figured we'd like spend some time because I feel like we all could use a little work when it comes to like really, really deeply listening to not only other people, but just to the world around us. We live in like a really, really loud society. No matter where it is that you live, if you live in the United States or at least for me, I live in Los Angeles, you live in Las Vegas. I mean, even if you're remote or even if you live in a city, I mean, even social media can be really, really loud. So I think focusing some energy on the art of listening, I think would be beneficial. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It makes me, reminds me of actually in Buddhism, they call it the art of dying well. That that whole process uh, in Buddhism, if you talk to one of those monks from like Tibet, they kind of liken... Buddhism to the art of dying well. And I wanted to call this one the art of listening well, right? Okay. And so many people associate hearing with listening. We're going to make a differentiation between the two because they're different. And I want to actually share a story about my childhood, Jen. Oh, okay. I want to know what Love you this. think because um, I've had a lot of emotions kind of coming through my subconscious today. A lot of emotions that go way far back into my childhood. And this is kind of what spawned this whole thing because I remember a time when I was a child and I had a really difficult time hearing, right? And I'm not talking about just listening to other people talking. I'm talking okay. like I legit had health issues that would Caused prevent me from loss. actually hearing. Yes. Okay. I was suffering through hearing loss of around six or seven years old. Wow, really? Right? Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't anything uh, too crazy. It wasn't like I was permanently going to lose it. I just had suffered from just enormous number of ear infections that infections. used to happen all the time. And so- it left me partially deaf in, my, in in both of my ears. And I had to get something called a, a tympanostomy to fix that, mm-hmm. which are when they're like putting things in your ear in order to like sort of open up the airflow and things like that. Mm-hmm. But when you're young, your ability to differentiate between sound and audio is a little different because, you know, when you don't have that sort of self-awareness in order to acknowledge if there's a problem or not. Mm-hmm. So I went through a fairly long period of my life not even realizing that I was losing my hearing. Yeah. And obviously also not voicing it to my family or my friends or even people at school. So it wasn't until uh, I started getting in trouble at school that it became a problem, right? So I'd be in class and, you know, the parent, my, my, my parents thought I was a pretty stoic child. You know, I was pretty quiet and I did a lot more observing than I ever did speaking. And I think a lot of that, at least in the beginning, contributed to the fact that I I wasn't able to really hear very well. So I didn't have a whole lot of other distractions outside. I was able to sort of sit within my peace and kind of get comfortable with that a little bit, right? I uh, ended up going into school and that's when it all sort of like started to come to light because teachers used to like call on me in class or I wouldn't be able to listen to teachers um, teaching in class and therefore I wasn't able to pass tests or do any type of work. And so eventually I just ended up getting in a lot of trouble. And of course, my family didn't like that. My parents didn't like that. And, and um, eventually they figured out that there was something wrong with my ears. Aww. They realized that there was something wrong with my hearing. And that was like a really interesting thing because I went through this whole process of like trying to get my hearing back, got surgery done on my ears. And then slowly over time, it was this long process. It was a really, really grueling process. I remember it. I started to get my hearing back. And one beautiful thing, though, like I said, about not being able to hear is I, I think I, I was able to preserve some of my innocence in a lot of ways. I was able to be sort of like hyper aware of my environment. I loved being in nature. I loved being around trees. I didn't have to deal with the sort of constant push and pull of other people talking to me or listening to other people's conversations. And so once I got my hearing back, were you? I was like six or seven years old. Six or seven. Okay. Yeah. This makes a lot of sense. And then once I got my hearing back, I got really, really into music. I got really, really into music. You know, I felt it in a way that I hadn't felt before, and it became sort of like a form of communication for me. But the one thing that I, the one really important thing that I, one thing I learned by not being able to listen 
is I got to experience how people react when they feel like they're being ignored, right? Mm -hmm. That was the one really, really major takeaway because for a long time, I couldn't figure out why everybody was so pissed at me, you know? Like I couldn't figure (laughs) out why the teacher was yelling at me. I couldn't figure out why I was always getting in all this trouble. Once I got my hearing back, I realized that I wasn't hearing them. Yeah, I wasn't able to hear them. So I realized not being able to hear others brings out certain triggers in people. Being able to observe that and of course, you know, learn that it isn't because of you. Um, it's a really, really interesting thing. People act very, very, a very specific way and then when they feel like they're being ignored. And at the same yeah, time, it taught me how important it is to be able to understand someone, you know, because our, our ability to listen also influences how we communicate with others. And once mm-hmm. I got my hearing back, then that sort of door opened up and I realized that I actually had to start communicating with others, reciprocating that same sort of energy back to them when they communicate with me, you know. Very interesting. I want to drop a little medical knowledge. Um, The reason why I asked how old you were, it's really, really common for little kids to get ear infections because of their eustachian tubes. It's the tubes in their ear. Um, They're really straight. So um, they don't drain as well. And then you Uh get fluid in there and then you get infections. Um, And uh, the best way to avoid an ear infection in a child is to not give them a bottle while they're laying down because your ear, nose and throat are all connected. So whenever babies take a bottle, whenever they're laying down, that fluid backs up in their ears and then they get constant ear infections. So if you happen to have a baby that, um, for all our moms out there, um, try not to give them a bottle when they're laying down. So, uh, and that'll stop the ear infections. But you know, in the eighties, when we were young, that was like, that's what, what you did. <laughs> you know, you gave your kid a bottle and put them in the crib and like, see you tomorrow, you know? Oh yeah. Or you do that um, whole thing that like your grandma wants you to do, which is like rolling up some newspaper and like sticking in your ear and burning the tip of it. Oh yeah. An ear candle, (laughs) like a homemade ear candle. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know if that works, but apparently that's a thing. Yeah. It's totally a thing. Um, yeah. The smoke from that is supposed to pull out the earwax. Um, so yeah. So, uh, and also something, a little holistic method that is really good for draining fluid is, um, to take your kid to a chiropractor. So before you let the doctor put tubes in their ears, um, for like recurrent ear infections, take them to a chiropractor and, um, have their back and their neck adjusted and it helps drain the fluid out and, um, they really? may not need tubes. Yeah. Wow. Say so what, I wish I would have known that back in the day. Like there were so many things right? that I was prohibited from doing in order to sort of prevent things from going in and out of like my ear and sort of like perturbing my, my, my hearing. I just remember and that. Look at I mean, the, it's really, the really psychological, yeah, the psychological and social effect it had on you as a kid. Right. From these recurrent ear infections and then, you know, the way that you were treated by teachers and friends and your family. And oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's 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 interesting because it's symbolic of kind of like where I'm at right now, trying to get back to that place, because when I wasn't able to hear all of the static, I I did find myself. I mean, they, they looked at it more as like a stoic thing, but I found myself more at peace. But at some point I realized that I had to really participate. I had to participate in society. It's interesting how like. When you grow up like that, especially really young, it's not really a consequence to you because you don't know what it's like to have that full-blown fucking 3D stereo hearing. And then once I got mm-hmm. it back, I was so appreciative of the fact that I had the ability to hear. And at the same time, I, I think it made me extremely sensitive to the sounds of the things around me. Still to this day. Still to this day. Yeah. I, this is totally off topic, but very similar and how you're able to appreciate sound from having deprivation of sound. Um, I, that's how I feel about flying. Like flying recently has been a fucking nightmare with the flights being canceled and I've been stuck places for, you know, 12 hours at a time. 
uh, before I was able to get another flight to get out. Like that just happened last week. Uh-huh. And um, I had to go to another airport like it was a hot mess. But um, I wasn't really that pissed off because it's been so many years since I was able to travel like this, you know, that uh-huh. I don't take traveling for granted. So that's a, it's interesting how a trauma can <laughs> make you really appreciate uh, things that otherwise would have annoyed you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a perfect example of that. You're getting exposed to that sort of thing. The one thing that I do remember, though, is that like when you become more of the observer, which I inadvertently ended up falling into when I didn't have my hearing, and then I ended up getting back my hearing, and I still had really close contact with that sort of observance or that observer side in, in me. I didn't just automatically just start getting into conversations with people. I more or less stayed an empathic, very introverted type of person. And I ended up being one of those people that others just wanted to tell their stories to. I was always really interested in the stories of other people. I was really always really interested in the ideas and beliefs of others. So I took more of like the listener role. I, I went from being the observer to also being the listener. And I didn't have a boundary. And I think that's one of those things that I think hurt me as I got older in life because people used to just unload all of their feelings on me all the time because all I did was listen. I didn't like respond. So I had to like really learn to create sort of like these healthy boundaries to make sure that like I wasn't getting really too deep with the listening and inadvertently identifying, overly identifying with their pain as my own, you know, taking on this sort of karma or like the negative energy of others. Let me ask you something. Do you think that you would be as much of an introvert now? Um, do you think you would be more extroverted? Let me let me put it, ask it, phrase it like that. Do you think you would be more extroverted had you not suffered hearing loss as a child? And I don't like know. Started I started out in that role as an introvert. I haven't really thought about that. I mean, I, I, I don't want to completely attribute my silence or my maybe ability to observe or, or, or just rest within that sort of comfortable peace just to my hearing. I think in a lot of the ways that I grew up, being able to see so much sort of disorder and trauma around me naturally kind of placed me into that space of just observing and not interacting because there's a part of me that was afraid to engage in a lot of the chaos that was happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know what to think about it. And at the same time, I also grew up in a very, very strict family back in the day when I, my father was in my life and I wasn't able to have really, really a voice in the way that I wanted to. So in a lot of ways, I kind of had to just be quiet anyways, you know? So I don't know that I would have changed. I've never been any other way my entire life. And so there's a part of me that feels like I've always pretty much just been like a chill person, like just pretty reserved and pretty mm-hmm. like quiet, you know? I never went through like a super hyper phase where I was just bouncing off the walls or freaking out. More or less always yeah. kind of been who I am. You know? All right. I was just curious. Yeah. Yeah. So that taught me a lot about listening, being able to observe others, being able to observe how others communicate, how to show up for others. That's one thing that I learned very, very early on. But as I got in more into like the spiritual journey, it's one of those things. It's, it's basically like the paragon of this whole spiritual thing. The one thing that they kind of teach you very, very early on is just being able to observe. And the only way that we can really observe is if we're able to get to a place of stillness and silence within us. And it'll enable to sort of create space between us and the thoughts that we think. And I think a lot of that involves listening, right? So I wanted to talk about two types of fundamental listening that we kind of learn throughout our lives, or at least I've learned, and something that is obviously still an ongoing practice for everyone, which is listening when holding space for others, and also listening in silence uh, with ourselves, we're alone in the moment that we're in, 
right? So listening when we're alone. So there's, a, there's, there's listening when it involves other people. And then there's a certain type of listening that happens when you're, let's just say, meditating alone. That's a different type of listening. And I remember- So explain um, that for people yeah. that don't meditate. Yeah. So listening and said, so I was walking down the street one time, I remember in Pasadena. And it was during, it was old, it was by these like old money homes that's like uh, down sort of like an old town area. And it's really quiet over there. There's not a whole lot of audio. There's not a whole lot of sound. There's just sort of like this nature. And it's really rare to come across situations like that, especially in this city. And, but while I was walking down the street, it was just like a, there's very unique part of this day because it was unbelievably quiet. There was no cars passing by. All you can hear is like the rustling of the trees. The only time you can really experience that is like when you're camping and it's mm-hmm. so unbelievably quiet that you can literally hear the wind in the distance, maybe like a mm-hmm. mile, maybe like hundreds of you know yards down the way as before it gets to you. Have you ever been in that situation where you can hear the wind yes. before it gets to you? Yes. That's so cool. Like I rustles through the trees and you feel, you hear this like, it's yeah. like the spirit of the earth is like slowly approaching you. You can only mm-hmm. really hear that if you're being sensitive to the silence of the moment that you're in. And I remember mm-hmm. I was walking down the street in Pasadena and it was so unbelievably quiet that like literally if I heard a pin drop, I'd be able to hear it. But I had this sort of like mystical type of experience that I can't explain because it was more of an experiential thing where the silence was so deep and the silence was so all encompassing that I was able to hear the entire universe mm-hmm. while I was walking down the street. I was able to hear the planets in the sky. I was able to hear the sun. I was able to hear the blackness of space. I was able to hear the oxygen between me and everything else. I was able to hear the trees. And for a moment, I was able to feel the vastness of the universe around me. So no longer was I just this person walking down the street in Pasadena. I was this person that was walking on down the street on this planet that is floating in space in this vast universe that goes on forever. Imagine experiencing that through just the silence of listening. That sounds like a Joe Dispenza meditation. <laughs> Oh yeah, because yeah, that's that's part of like his meditation is is to um, focus on the vastness of the universe and like your size in relation to the universe and like parts of your body, right? Like focus on your throat and the size of your throat in comparison to the vastness of the universe. Oh, so yeah. it's pretty cool, yeah. and it's cool because all of the planets have different frequencies, like different sounds. So yeah. you can actually uh, get on. Uh, is it on NASA? Doesn't NASA have the sounds like recorded where you can listen to what it, the planets It does, like? but if you've ever gone on YouTube and you tried to listen to the sounds of the planets, it's not the most peaceful sounds. No, they not sound always. like all <laughs> crazy and wild. Like I've heard Venus sounds yeah. a little spooky. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, but they emit a frequency. What you're saying, right? Right. It's yeah, like a certain yeah. sound. And then the planetary, yeah, the planetary gongs are tuned to that frequency of those planets. Oh yeah. And if you want to have that experience, like I had, planetary gongs are a perfect way to get there. You know, like mm-hmm. you're able to focus all of your attention on this sound, these these planetary gongs that are tuned to the orbital properties of the planets. Mm-hmm. Your conscious is able to sort of like gently fall into the vibration of these sounds and take you a completely different place. I feel that Joe Dispenza probably brought that up in a meditation, not as a concept. I think a lot of people eventually, if you're sitting in nature, this is the reason why I feel like people love meditating in nature because there's there's... There's something very mysterious and mystical about it, right? Because when we're in the city, you are being absorbed by so many different sounds. There's a gardener across the street. There's a car that passes by, right? There's somebody talking to somebody. Someone's walking their dog across the way. And you never, ever get to feel what it feels like to have your attention completely dialed in to 
just the sound of presence, right? So once that's completely taken away and you're just sitting in nature and you're able to hear everything around you, now your awareness goes from I'm in the city with all these people to I'm in the fucking universe with the planets. Yeah. Because if you can experience the the silence of space, then you can feel your positioning and where you're at in space. And if you can have that experience in meditation, it's it's really amazing experience to have. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the theme of all of his meditations are, you know, like the whole in space that I always make fun of. Um yeah. but it's it's super effective because it does it, it put things into perspective. Yeah, it's like a perfect parable for how we're trying to expand our awareness, right? Mm-hmm. We're always yeah. in this like really our, our chakras are so pushed in really close and our awareness realistically is really only dialed into the things that we pay attention to, which could be trivial things. But mm-hmm. once you let go of all of these sort of things that are latching you on to different things that are taking your attention, your, your awareness suddenly expands. And if you can get to that place where your awareness is suddenly expanding, you never forget mm-hmm. that you're on this big fucking planet spinning through space. It, is, it seems like such a far concept for people because they're thinking about what they're going to be doing tomorrow after work. They're thinking about what they're doing this mm-hmm. weekend. It's really easy to forget that you're literally on a flying fucking spaceship flying through the sky in an infinite universe, you know? On, on a rock that is in the grand scheme of things is equivalent to a speck of dust. Yeah. That is hauling ass through the universe. Yeah. It's hauling <laughs> ass through the universe. I mean, how can you forget that? And we so easily <laughs> forget that. And this is, this is the reason why I think oh. it's important to bring this up is because we can experience that, but we have to really get into this sort of act of listening. And listening exists Mm -hmm. as a way for us to center ourselves in the present moment. It is the paragon of meditation, right? And it it doesn't always just involve other people. It it can involve subtle things like nature, right? Physical things like breathing. It's one of those things that we kind of hear about in meditation, right? Which is like your attention, at least as it pertains to sitting alone. This is what I'm talking about right now. Like when you're alone, listening and attention are integrated. They're the same thing, Mm -hmm. right? So listening can be seen as attention, when our attention is pointed to certain things, we notice that we can also hear those things and listen to the music of those things. And I think that artful listening is its own form of meditation because it requires both your body and your mind to be synchronized in order to be able to sort mm-hmm. of absorb everything around you. And yeah. when we're quiet enough, we can create enough space to differentiate between what you are and what you're not, right? Mm-hmm. Because in this in this space of stillness and quiet, when we're listening, we're able to di- differentiate between where the spirit is and where thoughts are. If we're able to just listen to the inside of our bodies, inside of our minds and what's in front of us, what's around us, um, then that's when we can kind of create space. And I think the difference between maybe listening with someone else and listening alone, I think is kind of paradoxical in a way because when we're with people, it sort of requires us to access a certain level in the mind in order to understand and respond. But when it comes to listening, like when we're alone in nature, in order to like really, really deeply listen and respond to nature, we have to set our ego and thoughts to the side. Otherwise we miss just, you know, the entire beauty of the whole thing. Absolutely. So I want to just go over some simple steps of how we can listen alone when we're in nature. I, I like this. I like this. How to listen alone. How you, you know, listen I didn't think that alone. that was the, the direction that this podcast was going to go in. But, um. <laughs> We're going to go into another direction, which may be the, the direction that, I mean, there's another ways that we can do this. I mean, obviously listening as it pertains to others, we'll get to that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that in order to be able to listen to others, I think this is the reason why we started at this place. In order to be able to listen to others, we have to be able to listen, right? I love we that. have to be able to listen to ourselves. Some steps to kind of listen when you're by yourself. 
focus your attention on what's in your present moment, right? So what does this mean? When we observe nature, basically this is what it means. It means that when we're observing nature, that we can do it without creating a narrative about what you think about nature. Can you look at something as if you've never seen it before in your life? Because in a lot of ways, if you look, if you think about it, if if you're in nature right now and you're looking at the trees and you're looking at everything around you, you haven't seen those things before in your life. I mean, your mind and your egos created a sort of judgment about what these things mean, but literally every position that you take in life is always a new vantage point that you experience everything. And everything that you think about nature is just something that happens in the mind. It's not really true. So every experience Mm -hmm. is a new experience. You're always looking from that place of someone new, right? Someone new. Mm -hmm. So other ways. I actually used to uh, listen to this, um, this meditation for sitting in the power, like for mediumship class. And uh, I love the way that he said this. So I'm going to share it on the podcast. He was like, um, now when you're sitting and you're relaxing and you're relaxing into nature, into your power, into your bedroom, wherever you're meditating, right, is to let go of anything that you were doing before and anything that you're going to do after and to be in the present moment. So yeah. um, sometimes we need that reminder, right? And, and, and the whole relaxation piece to remove the tongue from the roof of the mouth I didn't notice that I would do that meditation <laughs> until somebody said that in a meditation. I was like, holy shit, my tongue is glued to the roof, roof of my mouth. Like it's that like um, that tense energy that you have. Oh, so, um, just that's a good, the reason like, why. So that's sort of like yeah, an indicator that, of like anxiety. That's like the, an indicator um, that like your mind is still sort of moving. Yeah, yeah. An indicator that you're not relaxed. And yeah. um, meditation is a lot about meditation is being relaxed and being in the present moment. And, um, you know, whenever you're tense, you're still living either in the past or in the future. Right. So of being tense for, you know, whatever email you need to answer, or maybe the email that you just read that upset you or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing that you brought up, which is like, you know, you don't want to get into the habit of thinking about what you're going to do or what you've already done. In other words, don't use your mind to sit in the moment and try and absorb everything around you because you're only going to see life from the vantage point of what you think about what you're looking at, right? Mm -hmm. So looking at something as if you've never seen it before, because in a lot of ways you haven't. Every experience is a new experience. So look at something as if you have no idea what it is. Realistically, if you really think about it, you don't know what anything is. You only know that it exists, right? Mm -hmm. We only understand people's theories about what certain things are. And so I think a part of meditation is about, can you throw aside your concepts and your definitions of what things are? Like instead of if you go outside, if we walk in nature, the first thing that we typically do is like, oh, look at all these beautiful trees. No, you Mm -hmm. don't want to go in that direction because that's judgment. That's you. I mean, as innocent as that is, that prevents us from really being fully present in the moment because a lot of people have a lot of ideas about where they're at. If you get into this habit of trying to identify and define everything that's around you, that kind of takes you out of the moment that you're trying to be in, right? Mm -hmm. So if we can throw aside our concepts and our definitions of things, there's this sort of like sacred realm that opens up for us, right? One, is that we can't deny that we and everything around us exists. Two, we can't understand exactly why it exists. And then three, even if you don't know why these things exist, you're able to be aware of the fact that you exist, right? Mm -hmm. So realistically, when you're in nature, there's only really one thing that is true that isn't being accessed by the mind, and that is that you are here and that you exist, right? So I think a part of listening is being able to just be where you are without trying to define everything that you see. And at least from my perspective, Everything at this point becomes a miracle to you because you're able to see everything from the innocence of a child, yeah. right? 
from like fresh eyes. Yeah. With fresh eyes. You're trying to sort of let go of everything that you think you know about where you're at, what you're doing. And if you could let go of those concepts, if you're able to sort of curb those thoughts from happening, the only thing that's really left to do is to just observe everything in the same way that a child does. And if you can do that, everything becomes a miracle to you. You know, Mm -hmm. everything that you see, you go outside and you see like a a tree and you're just like, like, what is that? It is so unbelievably crazy that this thing even Mm -hmm. exists to begin with. You know, everything becomes beautiful. And I think that if we can observe from this space, then incidentally, we incidentally end up listening from this place as well. Right. Have you ever heard like, um, this reminds me of, um, you've ever heard, you ever listened to a song that you've never heard before, right? For the first time. All the time. It was just Mm -hmm. like so beautiful. Yes. Right. So there's like this band called Nova Amor and they, um, there's a song that I heard on, on YouTube and it was just so fucking beautiful. And it's like those songs that when you first hear you're go, it takes you on this journey through just beauty and just unbelievable. There's just something, just like this magic to it. Like when you hear a song for the first time, it like stirs your emotions mm-hmm. a certain way. You're thinking about your life. All of a sudden it becomes a soundtrack to your entire fucking legacy. Right. Mm-hmm. You have songs like that, right? I love it when that happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you have this period of time where the song feels new, tugs on all the right emotions in you. But once we start listening to that song on repeat over and over and over again, what happens? It like stops losing its it? magic. It stops losing its magic. We go from listening to the song to just hearing the song, right? Perhaps maybe while doing other things. So how oh is it gosh. that we lose this magic when we listen to these songs? I think it's because the magic of this song gets lost in repetition. Repetition is something that is largely moderated by the mind. So once we hear a song for the first time, we're hearing it from this place of creativity and spontaneity. We can hear it as if we're a child. That's the reason why we can feel it in the way that we do. But once we've heard it on repeat, our minds have already developed a narrative about what the song's going to sound like, where it's going to take us, how it makes us feel, and then the magic mm-hmm. is gone. I had a friend in, in school, and I'll never forget this. It made me hate this song. You remember that Glycerine song by Bush? Oh my gosh, Bush. You know, I, that's a good yeah. song, Jen. It's a great song, right? And I loved that song when it came out. And my friend Misty would put it on in her bedroom, and she would play it on repeat, Remember back in the day when the CD players had the repeat button and it would just loop the song over and over oh, and yeah. over? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so after hearing that song maybe 500 times, I now, when the song comes on, I'm like, oh, man. And that was Glissa 25 right. years ago. <laughs> and Don't it's let still... the days go by. <laughs> yeah. Easier. Oh, man. Good old Gavin. So talk about songs losing their magic. That's, oh, yeah. That's a song that lost its magic for me. Yeah. And I loved that song when it came out. And I love Gavin Rosdell. I was like totally obsessed with him as a young person. Yeah. Now we're talking about nostalgia, right? So I used to like the Cranberries yeah. back in the day, right? Oh, me too. I loved the Cranberries yeah. so much. And I wanted somebody else to appreciate the Cranberries with me. I was probably like 12 <laughs> or 13 years old. So I gave oh, it yeah. like my Zombie. sister. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So my sister ended up getting to getting a hold of one of my, my, my CDs. And so she started listening to the cranberries over and over and over and over again on a loop every single oh, day, gosh. nonstop. And I got so angry. And I mean, I feel bad to this day, but me and my sister, we laugh about it now. I got so angry because I, that magic was gone. But I also kind of got angry because I, I, it, I feel like cranberries were my thing. And like, she, yeah. you know, when you're a kid, you're like, when someone kind of ventures into your territory and takes your ban, you feel yeah. sort of territorial about it. I got the CD and I broke it. <laughs> <Rick>. <laughs> I broke. I was like, oh here is, I gosh. think, your cranberry CD. 
And she was like so um, sad. And I, I, I felt so bad after a while. Of course, when you're young and you have this sort of sibling rivalry, me and my sister had um, kind of a rough patch when we were younger. But as we yeah. get older, I love my sister to death. She's like one of my best friends. And it's one of those things that we laugh about because, you know, you don't know any better when you're a kid. You're going through all these different situations, you know? And that's how you learn, right? And that's how you learn how to regulate your emotions whenever you have these outbursts as a, <laughs> as a child. And yeah. and then you feel guilt immediately and you're like, oh, that was uncalled for. Why did I do that? That was crazy, you know? Yeah. So, you know, that's how we learn. It's crazy how like these little situations, like listening to a song for the first time and then losing its magic. I, I love hearing a song for the first time because of that magic. But after that magic dies away, there's this sort of like sadness. It's like you're trying to recreate that magic that you heard when you first heard it. And that speaks yeah. to grasping, right? Like you can't grasp mm -hmm. for beauty. You have to just allow it to spontaneously come into your life. And if you think back of all the songs that you've discovered just on a whim, they tend to happen during the most appropriate times in your life. Like when those songs that, that, that I discover and they end up being so beautiful, it's like it's the song that waited 30 plus years in order to make itself to me on this day where I just happen to be going through this. I hear it on YouTube or I hear it on Spotify and it's like it's like this sort of like save button on the PlayStation where it's like the universe mm -hmm. being like, okay, I got you. Here's a little beauty to get you to move you forward, you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, you're feeling sad about that breakup. Yeah, I got a song for you. And then yeah. in comes the song and you're like, yes, this is exactly how I feel. <laughs> this is exactly how I feel. And then when like, and then you listen to it, like I'm one of those people. And I don't know if you're one of these people. If I hear a song and it's so beautiful, I'll listen to it literally on a loop for like days. Mm, I won't, I won't loop a song, but um, I'll listen to it every day, maybe a couple times a day, but I won't loop a song. Um, and Misty taught me not to loop a song. <laughs> <laughs> who told, who taught you? Misty. Misty, the girl that played yeah. glycerine on, yeah. on loop for yeah. months. Yeah, it's one of those things. It, 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 it helps remind me that I'm grasping for something that I need to just allow to just spontaneously happen, you know, because mm -hmm. all those beautiful songs, you just have to, you know, you just have to trust that the universe is going to bring you beautiful fucking music. For sure. You know? Yeah. Only so always. as it mm -hmm. pertains to just listening when you're alone, the best thing that you can do is just to sit with yourself and just be sensitive to everything around you. If you're sensitive to everything around you when you're in nature, whether or not it be on your own, then you can hear everything around you without, or at least practice this, just be alone in nature and just listen to everything around you as if you've never heard it before. And don't use your mind. Don't get into this sort of process of like, okay, well, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to pretend like I don't know what anything is. It's like, no, mm -hmm. don't use your mind. When I say this, like sit alone and observe everything around you, there's no process involved. There's no sort of practice involved in doing that. Just like be where you are and just observe everything. And mm -hmm. that's when you become sort of sensitive. And that's when you're able to hear from a different place, just being the sort of mindful yeah. observer, you know? I like it. And then the other part, which is, you know, the, I guess the, the mean potatoes of this whole thing is listening with others. Listening with others, mm -hmm. Jen. You deal with a lot of people. You probably have to spend a lot of your time listening to other people, right? Oh my God. I feel like that's all I do. I listen to people. Yeah. Yeah, I've actually gotten really good at listening. I used to not be a very good listener, but over the years and especially like being in leadership and uh, you have to listen a lot more than you talk. And yeah. I may think things in my mind, but I've become really good with an internal monologue. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Or a dialogue. I don't know what the right word is. Monologue or dialogue. Well, Inner monologue dialogue. and dialogue. Monologue is like when someone's like doing a speech, right? I think a dialogue yeah. is, I think more Dialogue is like a conversation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
So, and, yeah. And, and I think that one of the, the biggest lessons that we can learn on the spiritual journey is how important it is to hold space for other people. And I don't mean just in sort of like a woo-woo kind of way. I don't mean just like holding space for someone that's going through a hard time, just holding space in the sense that when we're engaged in a conversation with somebody else, holding space yeah. in that regard, basically just communicating with others. And this is one of the things that I think all of us learn eventually, especially when we get into spirituality, how important it is to hold space, which involves a different type of listening. Because the spiritual yes. journey largely consists of a type of emotional purging that people go through. It's sort of like this practice in healing. And I think that this purging involves both communicating our truth and also listening to others communicate their truth. And what I mean by truth, I mean that things that are oftentimes hard to talk about for some people. So in order to yeah. facilitate that healing for ourselves and others, we have to be able to listen and respond to people, right? Yes. And not just respond verbally, you know, and not just listen with your ears, but also listen with your eyes. So nonverbal cues are so important whenever you're um, actively listening to someone. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're having a conversation and someone has their arms crossed, like immediately that makes you feel like they don't approve of what you're saying or it makes you feel a little defensive. So, you know, just having, um, uh, being aware of your nonverbal cues. Yeah. I noticed you mentioned feeling, and that's one thing that Simon Sinek talks about because there are, there's a difference between hearing somebody and mm -hmm. feeling what they're saying. And that involves yeah. sort of like an extrasensory sort of thing, not even just your attention, but like your entire body is giving off this type of energy, right? For me, the Absolutely. listening is a type of spiritual validation. I see spiritual because validation can often come across as sort of like egoic. I mean spiritual validation in the sense that it involves someone acknowledging how you feel, right? Because mm -hmm. when we listen to someone, yeah. it's as if we're in a lot of ways communicating to them that they exist in your eyes. Eye contact is such a, like a simple thing yeah. that uh, is another one of those cues to let you know that the person that you're speaking to is actually listening to you. Have you ever um, had a conversation with someone at dinner and they're on their phone the whole time? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and oh, they're yeah. not looking at you and not being engaged in the conversation. And yeah, sure, they're hearing you, but they're not listening to what you're saying because they're also engaged in this other activity. Oh, yeah. So, and it's like, they're not saying anything. They're not talking. So maybe in their mind, I mean, let's just say, for example, it's like a teenager. It's like, they're not communicating. So they think like to some extent, oh, because they're not communicating anything that's offensive, they're just not participating at all, that it's okay, right? Mm -hmm. But if your parents are yeah. like on the other side of the table or your friends are on the other side of the table and you're just sitting there on your phone, that communicates with your body yeah. something that yeah. you're not and listening. How simple, how simple is it just to look at someone uh, whenever they're talking? <laughs> You know, yeah. and, and also to give verbal cues that you're listening, yeah. you know, even if it's, uh-huh, yeah, okay, uh, simple one word answers, or I understand, I hear you, you know, I, I understand why you would feel that way. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can elaborate, but, um, you know, even, even one word is enough to let somebody know that you're listening. Yeah. So I remember at my work a long time ago, I used to, I, I still, it, it's still been a practice for me, which is I, I work a lot better when I'm on my own. But mm -hmm. a lot of my work, at least back then when I was working in the office, involved me being around a lot of other people. So when we'd have like big meetings, I have my own thoughts about meetings. I feel like meetings are a complete waste of time and they're just an opportunity <laughs> for like the big wigs and the big cheese upstairs to talk about stuff that everybody pretty much already knows, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm more about like being realistic and what's practical. Anyway, mm -hmm. so 
a part of my training back then was like, you know, Eric, you need to engage more with the people that you're working with. And I'm like, well, I'm listening to them. I hear everything that they're saying. And sometimes what I want to respond with, somebody else already responds. So if somebody else already responds and I'm not going to say the exact same thing. And they, they told me, they're like, you don't have to come up with anything sort of elaborate. You don't have to like reinvent the wheel. You just have to maybe say what they say back to them in a different way. It's not about what your response is. It's just about giving the sort of cue that you're being present for them, that you're like you're participating. Yeah, that you're participating. And that's my number one pet peeve in meetings. Let's back up a little bit. Let's talk about meetings, okay? Just for a hot minute. This is my <laughs> hot button. I hate being in meetings that number one, don't have an agenda. Number two, don't have action items. Don't put me in a meeting for an hour and not have an agenda of what we're going to talk about. And once we talk about everything, having some action items and things to follow up on. Gotta if you don't have, have that, items. that, that meeting is worthless. So yeah. I'm with you on worthless ass meetings. <laughs> like that drives me crazy. Um, uh, see, I went on my meeting tangent cause I feel very passionate. About oh, that. so much passion. Jen. No, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Though. Oh, oh, my other, my other pet peeve. I remember now is whenever you're in a meeting and somebody says to echo what Eric said. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then they just rephrase it. Uh-huh. And it's like, that person already said that you don't need to echo that. We already heard it. Like, so that contradicts exactly everything that I, that, that contradicts everything that that manager was telling me. They're like, just, you don't have to say anything crazy. Just say what they said just in a different way. And I'm like, what's the utility in that? There's no utility in that. And it's a waste of everyone's time. So I agree with you. I think that that is pointless, but in active listening, uh, one of the tools is to repeat what someone says. Um, and sometimes, and this has actually happened to me before where I repeated something that someone said but that's not what they meant at all, you know? And I was wrong about my interpretation of what they said. And uh, that's happened multiple times, right? And had I not repeated back my understanding of what they said, um, we would be on two totally different pages. So it's like you have to tread carefully. You got to really, really, yeah. really understand what someone's saying. So I like yeah. if, a, if, you, if your manager is saying something, you respond, you got to be really, really careful about what you respond. You might as well just be like, yeah, yeah, I totally get it. I totally get it. But you can't, but you can't, you can't do that. But you know, that's that whole sort of work life kind of balance. I guess from the spiritual perspective, the way that I see it is as if to say to somebody else, that both you and I are in this life together, right? Mm-hmm. Me and you are in this moment together. When someone communicates to you and you're listening, it's as if you're saying to them, you're here and I know that you exist. Mm-hmm. And my Absolutely. listening exemplifies this feeling of, I care about you. I'm validating the fact that you're sitting here on this fucking planet flying through space in the same way that I am and I'm giving you some of my time. And if we can do this, then we have the ability to be compassionate. I think another way mm-hmm. that we can look at deep listening is compassion. Yeah. Because the whole definition of compassion literally means to suffer with. It's acknowledging mm-hmm. to somebody that we're in this together, right? We, the, if, we, if we can do that, we're basically both agreeing that this life we understand contains suffering, contains pain, contains sadness, and it communicates that we understand someone else's journey. Especially, I mean, I'm talking from the spiritual dimension. Let's just say there's somebody that's communicating to you their feelings and say it's mm-hmm. an emotion that they're going through. Right. And Jen's really, really good at this because sometimes I, I completely vent to Jen and she's a really, really good listener. I know that she listens to what I say and she asks questions. And what Jen does, in a lot of ways, she empowers me to, you know, take action 
on the things that involve things I need to take action on in my life, right? She like empowers you to see things from a different perspective. I think that is a perfect example of deep listening because you're not just sitting there giving unsolicited advice. You're listening and you're communicating from your experience and you're giving them the opportunity to grow on their own, you know? Mm -hmm. You can't, uh, people have to live their own experiences, right? Like you can give all the advice in the world, but that's not enough. People have to experience it on their own. Yeah. So when I see like in listening, it isn't about me, it's about we, right? So in order to Mm -hmm. really truly understand listening, we have to be able to understand. I think at the base, at the base of the ground of this whole thing, we have to understand love because I feel like love is the catalyst that determines whether we care about listening to other people or even whether or not we care about the well-being of others, right? Because in my mind, ego is the one that hears and love is the one that listens, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, we've been on both sides of this fence. I like that. Did you just come up with that? Yes. I, I oh, did, Chad. Mm-hmm, you like that? Because the ego <laughs> like hears that. and love listens, right? So we've we've been on yeah. both sides of this fence. We we both know what this feels like, right? Because mm-hmm. this is a part of sort of like the, the process of maturing and growing. Hearing is when somebody is telling you their issues, when someone's communicating to you, and the only thing that you're doing is thinking about how you're going to respond to them. That's hearing. That's and We've all been in situations that's, like that, right? That's a pet peeve of mine when I'm having a conversation with someone and this happens a lot at work, right? When you're talking to maybe a superior and, uh, and they're already planning what they're going to say to you next, right? They didn't hear one word you said. They're just like, yeah, yeah. You can see the wheels. Their wheels are spinning in their eyes. Yeah. (laughs) The the hamsters on the wheel running really fast, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I I can't have that like one friend that like had that loves the tea. You know what I mean? Like she loves uh, like oh, talking yeah. about relationships and you're telling her about your relationship and she's like, mm, I'm going to show you. And I want to know, I want to tell you what you need to do with your relationship. And she's always like that one where like the gears are going and she's just like, oh, oh, honey, oh, honey, this is what you need to do. And you question mm-hmm. if that person's actually listening to you. Yes. You know what I mean? So what about, uh, what about interrupters? How do you feel about people that interrupt Th- you? That's the same thing. That is hearing. That is, I mean, yeah. it depends. It depends on who you're talking to. You have... Friends, you know, that banter and that back and forth is something that you appreciate because you will have you at that point when it's your friend, you've already earned their trust, right? Mm-hmm. When you're a friend, you can go back and forth and it's okay because you know that person cares about you. But let's just say if you're a healer, somebody in the office, you're dealing with people that you don't know very well, right? Mm-hmm. And that sort of interrupting can be a really sensitive place for somebody that's going through trauma that needs somebody to really listen to them. So if you're like someone's spilling out their heart to you and you interrupt them while they're talking, that obviously shows that you're hearing and not listening. That shows in a lot of ways that you're communicating that their their feelings don't matter and that your narrative matters. What you want to say matters, you know? Mm -hmm. So I have a list and we've already talked about almost everything on this list. So I'm just briefly going to run through it and um, you let me know if we left anything out. This is from bhf.org.uk. So it's a behavioral type website, right? So um, tips for good listening. Uh, Number one, face the speaker and have good eye contact. We talked about that. But don't be creepy. Um, Don't be creepy about it. Don't be weird about it. (laughs) Don't be weird. (laughs) You've been on a date before, Jen, and like there's a guy that's like obviously really, really, really into you. And it's like eyes are like never leave your eyes. And like his whole body is just in there. And he's just like, oh. And you're like, oh, that's a little creepy. It can be a little creepy. Like full crazy eyes. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks. Yeah, like, and doesn't blink. Off. Ooh, doesn't blink. I'm like, oh, aren't your eyes dry? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
um, and listening to nonverbal cues. So we talked about body language, um, interrupting. That's number three. That's my number one. I fucking can't stand when people interrupt. Wait, what was number two? Um, what was number two? Uh, was, uh, listening to nonverbal cues. Oh, nonverbal cues. Like, like body language. Yeah. So when she's like touching her neck means she's into you, man. means she's into you. Actually. Yeah. When, uh, women touch their hair. Oh, yeah. uh, whenever they're talking to you, that is a sign um, that they're uh, attracted to you and interested in oh, you. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So notice that, you know, when you're on a date, if, uh, you know, if your lady keeps touching it's her like hair. It's like touching her hair. Is it because she's getting nervous? Mm-hmm. Is it because she's nervous around you? I'm not really sure. I'm or is not it sure like one of those things where like she just wants to make sure that like her hair looks nice because she's into the guy that she's on a date with? I, I think that it's kind of unconscious. Maybe you know? it's just... Uh, it's kind them, of like it's fidgeting, them. but... It's like them uh, embodying like their femininity. Like they're just like, yeah, it's part of the courting process, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So number four, um, we kind of talked about this, but uh, listening without judging or jumping to conclusions. <laughs> so have you ever done that when somebody's telling you a story and you're already thinking in your mind, like already making judgments about it and, and kind of creating your own narrative? Yeah. Actually, um, this is certainly a flaw of mine because I do this and I have this like this these internal thoughts about what people are saying while they're saying them. And I have to really check it because I'm very direct. So if I start thinking something, usually I'll say it. Really? I have to be better about that. Yeah. The issue that I used to run into a lot was that I would get so excited, right? Cause I'm really, really <laughs> interested in, in the stories of others. It's one of those things that hasn't left me. So when I have conversations with people about things that are really exciting to me, Right. Mm-hmm. I used to do this a lot in the beginning, like when I started venturing into spirituality, it like blew the doors off of my life in such a strong way that when <laughs> somebody else brought up like Muji or Adi Ashanti or even like Eckhart Tolle back in the day, I was like, I, I just talk I, about I it. wanted to get really into it. So they're talking about it and I just, I would get so excited for the person in, on the other side of the conversation because I know mm-hmm. how good it made me feel. So as a part of, you know, that excitement, I was always wanting to sort of share what it is that I learned with them. And I think it was reciprocated well, and I think it was understood, but it was, can be seen as hearing and not listening because Mm -hmm. that could have been potentially taking away from their experience, you know? Yeah. I mean, of course I would listen to them, but during times where I would somehow sometimes interrupt, I I think a lot of it came from just excitement. I was never like interrupting to be an asshole. Although I feel like I've probably done that in my life, maybe in relationships at times when things can get a little crazy. I think we've all kind of been in that place before where like somebody is like triggering you and you just cut them down while they're talking. I feel like we've all kind of been in that place before. You're doing all all of the, (laughs) doing all the things. You're interrupting, you're judging, jumping to conclusions. all those things. Everything all at once. (laughs) Yeah. It's one of those things that you learn, you know? For sure. For sure. So number five is, uh, we already talked about this too, and that was don't start planning what you're going to say next because you can't, uh, you can't prepare and listen at the same time, which is so true. That is very true. And then, um, showing that you're listening by, you know, giving some kind of verbal cue. And, uh, this is a good one and we didn't really talk about this one, but, uh, in, in posing your opinions or solutions. So this is a man, woman thing, I think. You know, whenever I go to Jeremy with a problem, he instantly wants to offer a solution because that's a man thing. It's yes, like, oh, you have a, a problem. Thing. I'd like to help you fix this. Yeah, and he doesn't this realize the they're, they're, they're rhetorical questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're not meant to be answered. <laughs> exactly. It's like the whole spiritual journey wrapped in that one situation. It's like mm-hmm. the answer is in the question, <laughs> which is it's a trick 100%. question and it's not meant to be answered. So when someone, so when your girlfriend comes up to you and she's like, how do I look in this dress? You're not supposed to answer that question with anything other than you look good. Like, 
Doesn't even matter if you don't like the dress. Doesn't even matter if you don't like that shirt. There's only one answer to the question. Right. You're there to validate how she feels about how she feels. You know, when I'm having a conversation with a girlfriend and, you know, um, you know, maybe we're talking about a situation at work that upset me and whatever. And when people start offering solutions to my problem, I'm like, hey, listen, I'm not calling you for a solution. I just want you to listen. What I'm saying, right? I just want to vent and get it off my chest because yeah. I already know what I'm going to do. Or maybe I've already, you know, kind of, kind of fucked the situation up a little bit, you yeah. know, with my response. And, yeah. you know, maybe I'm just uh, needing to vent about, hey, I made this mistake and this thing happened at work and this is how I responded and I shouldn't have responded in this way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't need to hear that from you. I already know that. <laughs> I think most people know what the answer is to most of the issues that they go through. I mean, if it's a deep-rooted type of trauma, like I get it, you need some insight, but when it becomes things like relationships or work-life issues or just stuff that happens in real life, we know the answer more or less, right? We just need somebody to validate how we feel and we just need like a different type of perspective. Like I think advice is okay when it isn't, I think advice is okay when it's solicited, right? Or then when you have somebody that's just like unloading all their advice on you when you don't ask for it, you know, there's something that happens when you do that, which is you're, you're, you're taking their opportunity to heal or learn away from them. Yeah. And I, I think listening really for me is just more about empowering others to work through their own healing, right? It's about showing that you understand and reminding the other person how strong they are. It's like, especially when you're a friend, you're just always reminding that friend that they have the power to figure it out on their own. But also when you do speak, you're speaking from your experience and you're allowing them mm-hmm. to take what they want from your experience. You know, you're not like mm-hmm. waving your finger at them being like, hey, you need to do this. Although that does happen. I mean, if you've got a mother, that, that thing happens, you know. Oh, it happens, yeah. Yeah. But yeah I think like uh, unsolicited advice, it's one of those things that we've done. It's one of those things that we also receive. I think that I don't think that's ever going to stop. I think people, there are people that really care that want to give you advice. And then there are people that just want to project their life onto you. Yeah. You know, we got to be, oh, for sure. pay attention to that. And I think most advice is well-intentioned, right? But, yeah. um, you know, we're not always in the place to receive said advice. That's true. Um, I think the art of holding um, space okay. is really just about really giving up, giving up your own narrative, getting out of your mind and just being present with somebody and allowing them to just heal through what they want to hear through. I mean, the, 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 the thing about communication, I think, is that it allows us to perceive who we are in relation to other people. You know, I think that when we listen to others... We get the opportunity to know more about who we are, you know, how we show up for people, how we love. And I feel like if we listen well enough to somebody else, I feel like eventually we may get the feeling and understand that we're a good person, you know, like that. that's kind of how we get a, a vibe for who we are in relation to the world around us, right? People mm-hmm. are largely responsible for that. You know, when we listen to others, we're allowed to take in feedback from others. We're allowed to listen to others tell us about our behavior, if our behavior happens to be toxic, if maybe our behavior happens to be very loving, like people, for the most part, if we have friends that are really deeply honest with us, they'll always communicate and tell us what we want to hear. And if we're listening to them, if we're really truly listening to them, then we give ourselves the opportunity to absorb that. You know, if we're not listening to others, if we're just going around all the time as if we know everything about life, we we miss those opportunities, right? Look, we miss those opportunities when we're not listening to others. I feel like people that don't listen to others or don't participate in that maybe have this ability to be a little less self-aware than other people, you know? Yeah. No, I totally agree. Well, there's only two other things on the list, and I think we pretty much covered them as well. And that's um, ask questions 
and um, oh, yeah. not asking a question just for the sake of asking a question, but asking a question that um, that you're going to apply to some sort of meaning, right? And uh, yeah. to be engaged in the conversation. There's nothing worse than somebody asking a question that's like totally not even applicable to the conversation. Um, yeah. Just to act like they're listening, that's that's irritating too. Yeah, you got to you got to approach it like Jesus does. So there was yeah. this time when I was at work one time, and there was this woman that like asked me a question. And in response to her question, I asked her another question. And she's like, you can't ask a question. question you can't answer a question? question with a question. What do you, are? What do you think you are, Jesus? <laughs> like she straight up said that. That's funny. She was like an older sort of motherly type. And that always like stuck with me. That's funny. I like ask that. Ask questions. And then the last one is just paraphrasing and summarizing. Um, and we kind of touched on that with my experience of of uh, yeah. paraphrasing and summarizing someone's uh, someone's meaning and being way off. Those are all really, really, really good, really good steps. And more examples are, at least from my perspective, like when someone is speaking to you, listen to what they have to say. And I feel like if you really deeply listen, you won't need to worry about what you have to say, mm-hmm. right? You'll know exactly what to say in the moment that you're in. You know, just like you said, ask more questions then give answers. I think the key to listening is to be there for the other person, not for yourself. Exactly. Right. And when they're done speaking, I feel like if we're in the present moment and we're not creating their own sort of narrative in our mind, we're going to respond instead from, not from our thoughts, but from our heart. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Because when we're responding to our heart, we're, it involves a certain level of trust, not thinking about what you're going to say in advance. Like, you already know what you're going to speak in the moment that it happens, you'll respond appropriately, right? So don't respond from your mind, don't project, and then just sort of simply share your experience and allow them to allow them to take what they need from your experience. And I think it's a really important thing for me is just always speak from your experience. Don't talk about things that you haven't experienced. I mean, you can, but never tell somebody else what to do with their own experience. Allow them mm-hmm. to sort of figure it out on their own. You know, right. want to be there for them and not just you. And of course, just like you said, listen with no judgment and don't interrupt. That's right. right. So to piggyback on what Eric said, ego hears and love listens. That's right. <laughs> right? I love that. That's That should be your new uh, quote on, on the gram. It's a good one. Ego learns the love, love listens. And, you know, I should have this one little caveat though. I mean, there are lots of people that are good listeners. I would say that you're a good listener. I feel like I'm a pretty solid listener when it comes to holding space for other people, but we don't want to get, we don't want to fall on a polar opposite side of two spectrums. Like you don't want to be somebody that doesn't listen, but you don't want to be somebody that just gets stuck with listening to the problems of other people and risk being a doormat Mm -hmm. to people that just want to unload all of their stuff onto you. Like you have to create a boundary with yourself too, especially in communication with other people. So you can listen but also still hold those boundaries and still communicate to the other person that like, I am listening, but there's a, a certain degree of my listening. There's a certain boundary of my listening that you can't go past, you know? Cause otherwise if you're somebody maybe like me, um, not like me, but I've experienced in the past where you're just sitting there listening and someone's just like sees it as a past to just keep unloading all of their stuff onto you. Yeah. Um, that can be kind of a challenging thing because then you're taking on the sort of negative energy of others yeah. Or you're taking on like the really heavy load of somebody's experience. And if you have enough sort of like emotional awareness to not identify so strongly and allow it to penetrate your peace, that's one thing. But, you know, you also want to be compassionate of your own needs as well. So For that's sure. just one of those things I wanted to mention. Like be a good right. listener, 
but also hold true to your own truth as well. You know, that's right. You don't want to carry around someone else's energetic weight. So you don't want to carry around somebody else's energetic weight. So I think that's the, the moral moral of the story. I think the ego hears and love listens. Beautiful. Right. I love it. It's one of those things, little affirmations that you can say inside of your mind when you're in communication with other people. It's like, okay, am I hearing or am I listening? If you mm-hmm. find yourself conversing with someone and your thoughts are moving, you're thinking about what you're going to say, that is your ego, right? That's right. your ego. But if you're communicating with somebody and you just find yourself completely absorbed in what they're saying, and you're really listening. There's only one force that does that, Jen. And that's love, right? Beautiful. That's the L-U-B. <laughs> that's what we on the streets like to call that L-U-B. Oh, yeah. Right? Okay. <laughs> you're like, okay. On the streets of Pasadena. Yeah. <laughs> on the streets of Pasadizzle. Hope everyone's doing doing well out there. Jen's power just went off and this in this crazy, crazy business happened. That's right. Hope you're okay, right? The apocalypse isn't starting in Las Vegas. Not yet. Not <laughs> I'm waiting for the aliens. Everybody's, for sure. Yeah, yeah, the aliens. The aliens are they're gonna show up in Vegas before they get here to California. Anyways, thank you guys for tuning in to Vinyl Roots Podcast. If you like the episode and the show, definitely consider liking and subscribing if you're on YouTube. If you're on Apple Podcasts, if that's your platform, definitely leave us a review. We'd always love to know what you guys think and what your thoughts are. If you want to hit us up on Instagram, we're also on there as well. You can send us a message. Let us know how we're doing. If you have any suggestions on episodes or topics, we're always looking for more. And if you have any other questions, you can just reach out to us on our website as well. Till then, thank you guys. Talk to you guys soon. Namaste, friends. Namaste.